You're listening to The Cave Podcast with your host, Gabriella Weeks. This podcast has been born out of an idea to share all of the wisdom, visions and possibilities for a new and better world in this planet. We're at a pivotal time in our evolution and there are so many amazing people out there who have beliefs that we can live in harmony with nature and many of the people I've met on my own personal journey are living those truths now and although some of them may be deemed alternative by the mainstream, I would like to share and celebrate their stories so that they can inspire you to find what your truth is in terms of what you are here to create and what mark you would like to leave for the future of this planet and the people that live amongst it. In today's first episode, we chat all things community and the discussion and topic around reimagining a better world for this planet. It's an informative chat that touches on things such as permaculture, the current state of agriculture, uh, sacred geometry, among many other things. I hope you enjoy. So I'm here today with Axel Winterson for our first recording of the Cave podcast. Axel, thank you for joining me. How are you yeah. today? Thanks for inviting me, Gabs. No problem. Uh-huh. I'm excited to chat to you all about themes around community. Um, we met last year at, I think it was a music jam somewhere in East London. And then we subsequently met at Rainbow Gathering, which was for me, certainly a life-changing experience. Had you been to Rainbow before this year? No, it was the first one I went to down in Dartmoor. Um, I was actually over in Wales living in this place in Pembrokeshire. And it was a small community with lots of little round houses and um, it was a wonderful place to be, but there wasn't too many young people around. And um, I started to get a bit tired of the um, uh, just hanging out with the oldies in the countryside. So I left there and I, I uh, wanted to find somewhere with a bit more music and a bit more, um, uh, a bit more fun to be had. And uh, finding myself in, in a community near London called Grow Heathrow, uh, I stayed there for a while. Um, and then I got invited to this rainbow. And so I thought, wow, wonderful. I've heard of this, this gathering called the Rainbow Gathering. And um, I thought I'll come along. And, and yeah, that's where we met. And it was a pretty, pretty magical experience, really, to see, to see Dartmoor alive with, uh, with so, many, so many people of different ages and um, different inclinations coming together. And uh, that was a real kind of rosy, rosy time, you know. Uh, and I think I learned a lot from the rainbow about how humans can get along together and, and, um, and, and what makes a gathering, what makes a gathering of people work. I think that nicely segues into my first question about community and what makes a community successful. Hmm. Right. Community. So, well, I guess I'd like to start with of talking about what community means to me um i could say i could say that i feel i've grown up in a modern world that's um that's very anti-community uh i could say even it's it's pseudo community there's uh uh I, i would say a superficial shimmering of of the kind of uh group bond that has 
been an integral part of our ancestors' lives. But the modern world has segmented, segmented our natural wanting to come into community and to come into a, a, a tribal sense of belonging. And so for me, I'm very interested in, in community, not, not as a, a, a superficial sense of meeting once a week and then getting on with our lives. I mean, community in the sense of coming together and, and truly, truly living together. So, and there are many human beings on the planet who are trying to do this in different ways. The way that interests me particularly is ways that are um, attempting to, to, to live in a very different way on planet earth. So um, eco villages, communes, uh, there, there was a big hit of this started in the 60s, 70s in, in America and kind of spread around the world, in, in particularly in, um, in Germany and Spain and, and, and um, uh, parts of Britain, places like Teepee Valley in Wales popped up. Um, and that, that legacy is continuing. And I would say we're currently experiencing a, a, a revival of, of, of a community ethic and of a wanting of people to, to return back to, um, uh, I, I would say, a more harmonic and simple and integrated way of, of relating to, to, um, to the natural world, to the means by which we feed ourselves and shelter ourselves, and the means by which we, we, we live together. Now, you ask what makes a community successful. Um, I would say it's, 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 it's fairly universal that the communities are able to grow their own food and, and build their own shelter. And there are lots of very exciting and, and uh, beautiful ways that, that, that these simplicities of life, these essentials of life are being rethought um, uh, or perhaps remembered. The, I would say the primary difficulty we're facing uh, in terms of, uh, of refinding community successfully at the moment is, is to, do with, to do with human relationships. And, and I would say um, integral in that problem, integral in that issue is, is, is an issue of human consciousness and, um, and the male ego. So, you could say they're different problems, human consciousness, human relationships, but they, they go hand in hand, really. And what, what I've seen uh, visiting uh, different communities, observing things like the rainbow gatherings and such, and, and hearing from others, is that we're still relearning how to come together as a tribe and, and, and create a hive mind and resolve conflicts and create harmony within groups. Um, if we look to nature, uh, it continuously is changing and morphing, but, but, but it, it's um, fully climaxed as such. Ecological terms, we're looking at a system which is entirely based on cooperation. And my belief is that our traditional societies and our ancestral ways of living were inherently integrated in this, um, I, I would say on a human level, this attitude and this way of understanding ourselves in relation to our environment. Now, the reason that I think that this problem is inherently a problem of consciousness is because um, really this attitude of, of, of being in cooperation is, is you could see it as a product of unity consciousness. 
of a, a way of experiencing ourselves as not separate from the world around us. Uh, the, the natural result of this is, is um, uh, the only sane way is to cooperate. Uh, the, 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 anything else is insane. To, to, to be in a, a state of conflict and violence with your fellow human beings or with your environment is inherently insane. So we're having this problem of um, how can we regain our, our inherent wisdom? Um, uh, and how can we return to a, a, a more um, rational and, and, and uh, unifying way of seeing ourselves and experiencing ourselves and, and therefore coming into a state of, of total harmony and cooperation? Mm, beautifully said. What inspires you of the future or in the future of community, communities such as the cave? What inspires you about the future? Um, I suppose if I was to see the cave as, as, as another um, offspring of, of, of humanity's longing to come back into a, a state of unity consciousness and to, and to live out the implications of it, um, well, what inspires me about the future of that? Well, it, uh, more, in Eisen, Charles Eisenstein's words, a more beautiful world, our hearts know is possible. And I know that you've, you're reading that book at the moment. Um, and I, 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 oddly enough, um, I haven't read it, but I have read, I have read the title of that book many times. And, and it's, it's very inspiring, I think. Um, that's what inspires me about it is uh, th this, this movement back towards community, this movement back towards, uh, as I believe you're wishing to do with the cave, um, uh, a, a kind of harmonic communal way of life that, that's more in tune with the earth and, and offers um, an opportunity for people from, from the um, living as such in the gutter of the modern world, um, uh, people who are homeless and, and, and um, still living on the streets people who perhaps are, are, are disillusioned with the way the world currently is. Uh, I believe what you're wishing to do, am I correct, is offering an opportunity for people to, to, to experience a, a totally different way of being. And, and that's, that's for me, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's about coming back into a state of unity consciousness, but, but it's equally about living out the implications of that, as I said, um, which for me is, is a, a reciprocal and symbiotic way of, of living with each other in the natural world. It's a massively stripped back, simplified way of life. Um, at first, I would say at first, I would say um, perhaps one step back before we take two steps forward. Uh, I think our culture's gone far too uh, careless and reckless and we've overdeveloped ourselves. Um, I, I, I don't see it, I'm not excited as of in the future to be a hearkening back simply to, to an old age, but I would say it's a revival of the wisdom of our ancestors, but yet still a movement into an unknown future. So I'm excited about, I'm excited about how we could inhabit Earth again in a harmonic way, but almost reconstituting everything we've learned and developed um, over the last few millennia as we've um, had these technological advances and, 
and uh, the, the, the birth of science. Um, I think these are all things which, which wouldn't be lost in my, my idea of a more beautiful world, our hearts know is possible. They would be reintegrated. We begin with sanity first, and, and then we explore from there. That, that's, I suppose, my point of view. And what excites me about uh, uh, movement back towards community, such as the cave is exemplifying, is um, I feel it's the first step to coming back to a more sane way of life, learning to live together again with the earth in peace. And uh, of course, a, a massive part of that is a shift in, in our consciousness and our attitude and the way that we see ourselves. It's the implications of that shift in consciousness which excites me greatly. Uh, how our houses might look, what we might build out of, uh, how we could interact with plants uh, in a way which is perhaps less abusive and less assumptive uh, and, and, and less inefficient <laughs> also. A way of interacting with the world around us which is more, more localized and integrative uh, and a word that wants to come through is harmonic, like music. Harmonic. Everything is in harmony. It, mm. it can be this way. <laughs> we don't have to, as you said, be at war with each other, both inside and without. So, yeah, I totally agree. If you were to reimagine Earth, Axel, what would your model look like? Right, okay, yeah. Well, that goes, that goes pretty well with what I was talking about previously. Um, I, I would say it's a, it's, a, it's a borderline obsession for mine, actually. Um, and I'd like to say this first. Um, it, it, I, I'm, I'm of a, a strong conviction that we've demonized um, what we call utopian thinking. Um, I'm of the, the strong conviction that um, it's absolutely necessary that we engage our imaginations creatively in reimagining human habitation on earth. And I'm not gonna use the word future. I'm gonna use the word way or, or quality or attitude um, because I don't think it, it's necessarily about time. It's about what we're doing now. And so I could say reimagining our future or I could say reimagining how we inhabit earth now. Reimagining what earth could look like if we did something differently now. What, the human world could look like if we did something differently now. And I think that this, the courage to think in this way has, has been um, uh, looked down upon and repressed in, in our culture. And I think we're still living out the implications of that. Um, uh, uh, when people talk about the state of the world, they tend to talk about all the problems, everything that's wrong. And everyone knows what's wrong. The kid and his mother knows what's wrong. Um, and, and uh, you know, God, whatever you want to focus on. You know? um, what I'm interested in is what could be done better. It's my obsession. And um, so what could be done better? Well, I, I would say that ev everyone could build their house in a different and unique way. But I would say that there's a wrong way and a right way to build a house. And I don't think those two statements are contradictory. I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, I think you can build a house in a way which is... Um, in harmonic with the principles of nature. And I would say you could build a house which is not harmonic with the principles of nature. Now we throw around lots of ideas, words like sustainability 
in, in the green movement and, and such and so forth. I think these words are, are getting there, <laughs> but I think that, that, that they're by no means um, the words that I'd use to, to, to explain a, a, um, a more beautiful way of inhabiting Earth. I would like to use words like harmonic, um, generative. You could even use words like divine if you, if, if you were so inclined. Sacred. I think, yes, absolutely. Um, and I think the vocabulary that, that we're using to describe our way of life is important. But okay, I'll go back to what I was saying. So no one way to build a house, but there is a right and wrong way. I'm interested particularly in, in, in using natural materials. By that, I mean materials that haven't been chemically or synthetically processed in, in, in everything we, we make. I think there's a room for play, playing with the building blocks of nature. Um, but I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a step too far. And I think that step too far is, is, is when it becomes ugly. So we often tack on aesthetics at the end of our list of priority when we're talking about um, uh, the practicalities of life and how we're living on Earth. It's like, oh, and if it's beautiful too, that's great. No, I, I think we should change that. I think beauty is a primary ethic for me because I, I think beauty is a, a way of looking that, that connects us directly to our, to our inner sense of what feels good and what, what doesn't quite feel good. Uh, to tactile, how something feels. I, I like materials that feel good to me. Um, there are materials that definitely don't feel good to me. Uh, folks leather and, and certain kinds of plastics and, and, and such and so forth. What does feel good to me is, is earth and wood and, and unprocessed, uh, unchemically un, un um, varnished wood. And, and then um, sit in a, an earthen home wearing uh, hemp and clothes that have been unprocessed and, uh, and, and drink an, a natural loose leaf tea as opposed to some kind of slightly chemically caffeinated coffee. Um, uh, you, you'd quickly become very, you'd know what I'm talking about. I think we've lost our sensitivity to the beautiful. And I think we've lost our sensitivity to discern between the beautiful and the ugly. So I would say one of my primary ethics in a more beautiful way of inhabiting earth is, is a, a refocus towards the beautiful, um, towards aesthetic, aesthetics, which are simple, and that are harmonic, that, that follow nature's natural patterns, as opposed to our, um, our mechanized geometries. Uh, the way that we tend to build a structure nowadays is we build it square. We build it with mechanized geometries. We follow uh, the offsprings of Newtonian physics. Well, um, you, you look a bit further back and, and you have um, uh, Pythagorean geometries, um, geometries that are directly derived from the spiral of a snail shell or, or the rings of, of, of a trunk of a tree or, or, or any other um, uh, natural geometries. These geometries uh, cannot be squared. Um, they're, 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 not, uh, uh, they're not linear. They're organic um, forms. They have pattern, which is why they, they even can, can be called a geometry but they're an organic geometry. They're not a mechanized geometry. And I'd like to make that distinction. And I'd also like to say that mechanized geometry, rather like music at 440 Hertz, um, is, is not quite as, as, as harmonic in terms of how it speaks to us, to, to our, our whole body um, compared to 432. I would say exactly the same uh, 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 principle applies to, to the difference between mechanized and organic geometries. 
And for me, organic geometries um, speak to the beautiful. So I like, I like the idea of houses that are round, that are built of materials like earth and round woods, that are made with intuition rather than calculation. And I don't believe that's necessarily a, 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 a practical trade-off. Um, I just think it means completely rethinking how we build structures. Now, can I continue? Because I'd like to talk about plants. Great. Now, um, there's a movement in the West called permaculture. And uh, this is a, a way attempting to rethink how we work with plants. And um, I'm of the opinion that permaculture is going halfway. And I think that there's another whole bridge to cross. Um, and it's again, it's to do with fundamentally reshifting how we how we relate to, to, to what we're doing and to the world around us. Permaculture is attempting to mimic nature and it does so well. And it's far more sustainable, regenerative. There are many fantastic techniques coming out of permaculture and you couldn't throw all of, all of permaculture into one bag um, at all. But there's one particular uh, phenomena that's um, emerged out of the permaculture movement, which is an interest in this thing called forest garden. And um, I've done a fair amount of research on this subject. Forest gardening to me seems to be the original form of gardening. I'm gonna say that, I'm gonna go out there and say, forest gardening is our original form of gardening. I'm gonna say that the idea that we moved from hunter gatherers to agriculture in the flip of a finger is, well, not true. I, I think what's more likely is that as hunter-gatherers, we, we gradually learned that if this went in the ground, this seed, this acorn, whatever, that eventually it would grow something. And that if we picked the seeds that came from the plants that we particularly liked, that had good food or a, a particular um, uh, utilization or effect that we enjoyed, and if we planted it somewhere that we know we could come back to later, that soon that that plant would be growing there. And I don't think what we would have done then, as we realized that as hunter-gatherers, is gone. So you see all that jungle, let's cut it all down and plant a thousand corn. I, I think your elders would have looked at you and gone, you're insane. So I think what's far more likely is that we learned to forest garden. And then you ask, well, how did we end up slashing down jungle and, and planting crops? I'm not going to even attempt to answer that now, but I'm going to stick to the point I was trying to make. I think forest gardening is the natural way of living in symbiosis with the plant world. Now, for me, that's fundamental, the word symbiosis, and I'll include in it the word reciprocity, which we've mentioned previously. Um, it's all good to mimic the principles of nature, but I think when you're still planting in rows, when you're still planting one thing after the other that's the same species, when you're clearing ground um, just to plant the crops that only you need, when you're still thinking about it from a point of view of separation, from a point of view of um, uh, a human-centric wish to, to utilize the plant world, I think you're limiting yourself. Um, forest gardening interests me because it's... Uh, it's a way of interacting with the plant world, which is based off of uh, an attitude of reciprocity and a respect for the plant world. And I think the results of that are massive. The implications of that are massive. 
um, a forest gardening per hectare is, is drastically more productive than a, a, um, a one-story planted out forest um, uh, permaculture allotment, no matter how uh, uh, much fertility you feed the soil. A forest garden is, is self-regenerating. So um, we've touched on Charles Eisenstein's book and I'm currently reading it. And in it, he talks about a Mayan bread nut. And this is a crop that is kind of fully self-sufficient and it grows so much more powerfully than corn. And it's once you plant it, it will take care of itself, a bit like what you've been describing, Axel. And yet it is cut down year on year in replace of corn. And so how can we change the mindset of a system to show them that actually we've been doing it wrong, guys? We've been focusing and narrowing our focus on these kind of ways of generating income that we think are serving the planet, whereas actually they could probably generate more revenue for themselves, farmers, agriculture, but actually be serving the planet in some way. And this comes from a knowledge that I found this year watching a documentary, which the name of it escapes me, but I can put it in the post of the podcast after, where a bit like what you're describing, we've got grass and, and we don't use that on the land to kind of put back into the land. It's these deserts that are being created from mass farming that are causing so much toxicity in the air, whereas grass literally pulls like the carbon dioxide down into the earth. And these, I've never heard of a mine bread nut. I don't know if you have. And, and that's the problem. It's the same with hemp. It's like these plants are so hardy and so incredible and provide us with so much. And yet we're focusing on what we've already been doing for so many years. Mm. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, a, a perfect example of, of, of um, our, our extreme narrow-mindedness when it comes to um, the field of agriculture and, and, well, agriculture, how we relate to plants and how we relate to the natural world. Not only are, are our ways um, ugly, um, not only are our ways unsustainable, not only are our ways small-minded, they're also inefficient. Uh, they're also far less effective and intelligent than, um, than it could be. So take the mine bread nut crop. I haven't heard of that one specifically, but it's one of an endless list of, of, of different plants that, that we've forgotten, uh, that we don't utilize in favor of a very small percentage of crops that we do utilize, um, such as corn, such as wheat, such as blah blah that, that feed um, a large proportion of, of, of the planet's diet. Not only do we sacrifice the health of the soil, uh, we also sacrifice the nutritional value of the foods we're eating. We also sacrifice our own health. Um, all of this in the favor of uh, um, one priority, which is, uh, which is crop, crop efficiency and, and market value. It's easier for a farmer to plow a whole three acre field and just stuff it with corn because he knows he'll get money for it. He knows what he'll get for it. He knows where he'll sell it. To. Um, but he makes a gigantic number of sacrifices with that kind of attitude. Now, as I was saying before about forest gardening, um, there's a way of interacting with plants, which uh, 
mimics natural ecosystem. Natural as in it's not done unharmonically with nature, it's done harmonically. So I wouldn't say therefore that it's uh, necessarily a manufactured human eco uh, ecosystem. I would say it's an ecosystem which humans as an animal have played a big part in, in forming, but I would say it's still natural as opposed to um, an unnatural human formed ecosystem such as, uh, such as a, a, a field full of corn. Now, there are so many plants, plants that can be grown in temperate climates, plants that can be grown in tropical climates that can crop all kinds of delicious and nutritious fruits, nuts, vegetables, leaf crops, seeds, root crops um, that attract beneficial insects, that, that regenerate the atmosphere and that regenerate us. Um, uh, this is a way of <clears throat> interacting with the plant world, which is, is pro-symbiotic which gives, gives to life, which is generated, um, which uh, uh, revives the planet's ecosystems and would easily provide our needs far more beautifully, far more easily and far more effectively. Now, the, the only question that you're led to there is, is, you know, why the hell are we doing it so madly? Well, I would say, you know, that's no different uh, a question than you would ask about any other facet of, of modern society that I would say is, is equally as short-sighted and, and, and corrupt. So, well, what are we interested in? We're interested in, in ways of doing things which are, uh, are simpler, which are far more beautiful and which are far more effective. And, and I think that there, there's, there's no shortage of that. What is the first step in improving our current situation? What would be the first mm -hmm. Thing that you do, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna play quite quite radically off that question um, because I, I think that too often that 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 question is asked is answered uh, too safely. I'm gonna say we have an extremely corrupt power system operating in the modern world that's quickly moving closer to um, uh, unhindered fascism and and technocracy, so it's very dangerous. The social pandemic that spread across the globe at the moment is, is to me, only symptomatic of the um, absolute insanity of, of the ruling class. And, um, and, and uh, the mind numb herd that follow suit. Um, now, I believe that, um, uh, I believe that we, we have to radically challenge what's going on. So what I'm going to say that, 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 that is best to do is, is completely ignore the modern world and the way the modern world is working. I think what any human being sh um, should do that are interested in, in a better way is, uh, is um, uh, I would say the first practical thing to do is to um, stimulate networks of off-grid communities that um, trade information and goods that are completely unreliant on the grid um, on, on modern agriculture and on the modern economy. So what I'm suggesting, there are many off-grid communities going on all, all over the planet. And what, I'm, what I would like to see, and I do believe it's possible, is for those communities to, to learn better to network together, to, to create um, a, a mycelium web of completely alternative, uh, a completely alternative counterculture and I mean counterculture not just as a social and intellectual movement but also as a, as, a, as a 
physical on the ground movement that produces its own food, that builds its own structures, that meets its own essential physical needs. For me, that's the backdrop of, of, uh, of um, any possibility we have of, of actually showing the rest of the world that it's possible to live differently. I, I don't believe in, in a, a political revolution. I don't believe in um, attempting to fight uh, what I see essentially as a sinking ship. My suggestion is let's build our light, lifeboats, ignore the sinking ship and, and paddle out to sea and, and, um, and get together, you know, because the ship's sinking anyway, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I think any work we're doing in the political sphere is rearranging um, deck chairs in the Titanic, to use that old adage. So my opinion is the hope is completely in off-grid sustainable communities. And I believe a very important part of that is to transcend um, uh, the boundaries we usually put up between each other. We are this organization. We are this movement. We are under this name or this flag. And to say um, any human beings who um, are, are willing to completely usurp the current status quo, who do not want to be part of the modern economy and the modern way of life and the modern way of thinking, and who want to revolutionize how we inhabit Earth now, um, I would suggest the thing to do is to find land to, um, I, would, <laughs> I would say grow forest gardens, but maybe I'm biased, uh, but maybe I'm not, you know. Maybe perennial polycultures is the way forward, I think it is. To, to build our structures ourselves uh, out of natural materials that are in the ground or immediately around us and to learn to live again um, both on the most physical and practical spheres and also um, on, on the highest spheres of, of the way that we look at ourselves psychologically and in and, and our fundamental consciousness. That's where hope is for me and to create, to forge connections between communities, between um, counterculture, off-grid communes. Because um, for me, hanging on to the, the sinking ship is, uh, is still small thinking. I think we have to be brave enough to cut the umbilical cord and to say, we're going out alone on this. And um, we're done playing to pandering to this game. We don't need your appliances. We're gonna make our own, we'll salvage, but um, we're not a part of that world anymore. And we're willing to go out on a limb and say, we're going to experiment with more beautiful ways of inhabiting Earth, and we're going to do it immediately. And that's the way that I want to live my life. And, um, and for, that's my hope in the future. And that's my voice. For me, I feel that I want to make this new world accessible for others who maybe haven't been exposed to it. Growing up in cities like London, only really discovering this new way of living myself, I feel very passionate about bridging the two. And so it's not to throw out the baby with the bathwater for me, it's come this way, come this way, come on, come and have a look over here. And that's what I believe is going to be the most harmonic. It's not death to the old. The old isn't working. If anyone really looks at it closely or feels what's happening, whatever your level of consciousness is there within ourselves, we can feel something's not right. And that this world, this system isn't fully operating in a, a virtuous way. It's not helping everyone. And so it can't, it can't be right. Mm. 
but I also think that there's good people there and there's 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 good things to take from it it's not to reject it all because it's got us to this point so there's been some good there and that's that's the middle ground I guess that I, I want to just throw into the ring I would love to know while we close out what can groups like the cave do to help mm. Well, I think you've got a very good point there, and that question leads in quite nicely, I suppose, is um, uh, I think that groups like The Cave, specifically uh, um, people like yourself, can be a fantastic bridge from a sinking ship to a, a, a growing mycelium web of lifeboats that are radically rethinking how we inhabit Earth and how we relate to ourselves and each other. So... Um, and I suppose you could place me quite far on, 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 on the, the front You're line. You're on the island. I'm on the island. Um, and uh, what, what people like me really need, people like me who, who, who tend to get shunned when I say my opinion quite bluntly, need, uh, need people who, who have, have a foot in both worlds and are able to, to, talk, to the, talk to the panicking members of the sinking ship uh, and relate to them. Um, I think that's something people like me could learn to do better, actually. And that's something I'm learning about uh, in my personal life. Um, I think organizations like the cave, movements like the cave, can, can offer a bridge. I, exactly as you're saying, can, um, can, can meet both sides of the equation and, 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 and offer an opportunity for those who are disillusioned and panicking uh, and unsure where to go, unsure what to do about it, perhaps even losing hope, perhaps even nihilistic, uh, perhaps even uh, as such playing the last uh, uh, jazz song in, in the atrium with no hope of survival, uh, which is a totally reasonable conclusion to come to. But I would say that organizations can, can, can come down into the atrium and say, Hey guys, you know, it looks pretty bad, but um, there seems to be something we can do about it. There seems to be a genuine alternative. Um, why don't you come uh, taste it with us? Why don't you come have a look? At least come up on the deck and, and, and have a look. We're making this island over there. And I know it's a bit raggedy and I know it doesn't have the central heating and the, the nice swimming pools, but it's getting somewhere and it's pretty beautiful as well. Once you get over the, 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 the differences, once you get over perhaps some of the sacrifices that we're making, we don't want to make the same mistakes as this sinking ship. We're trying something new. And I think that's an extremely important aspect of, of any hope we have of, of actually building a good island and, and getting any number of, of, of members of the sinking ship on the lifeboats. I think there's room for... for for social experiments, for um, re-envisionment culture. In the same way as there's a reenactment culture, people come and dress up and try it out. What would it have been like in 1940? Well, how about, what would it be like in 2040 if we experimented and tried something radically new? And I think the cave could offer opportunities for, for members of, 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 of the public to experiment in a safe way, in a way which doesn't, mean cutting the umbilical cord yet in a way which says just come and and have a think about it try it out have a taste 
we're trying something new here. You know, we've got nothing to lose. What do you think? That's my answer to that question. And, and I think that, that movements who are doing that have a vital role to play in, in, um, in our reimagining and reenacting how we inhabit Earth. Mm, yes, I totally agree. And it kind of reaffirms the vision for the cave, you know, to make this brave new world that I discovered known to more people mm. you know? and to it's like the old adage of dropping seeds or water into your bucket of consciousness mm. not our job to necessarily convert the masses over to come onto the island but if those seeds leave their mark over time that bucket will be full and then they might come hey I'd love to come and stay <laughs> I'd love to come and stay. I remember what you told me. I remember that workshop or that retreat. Thank you. I'd like to come and stay. And that's, that's got to be a good thing for all. Mm. Yeah. Well, oh, thank you so much, Axel, for your time. We could talk for hours, I think. So we may have to come back and have some more dialogue in the future. I would love to have you back and maybe go deeper into the permaculture um, and some other topics. So, yeah, that would be a pleasure. Um. That sounds wonderful, and I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, thank you. Well, looking forward to chatting to you soon and to be back with more discussions and dialogue with amazing people from the community and wider. So, yes, take care, everyone. Speak soon. Bye.